welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. So again, you're welcome. So lovely to see so many new people in this morning. I made some new friends from Botswana over here to my right. And uh, God bless you girls. Just in the, in the country a short time. And they need to make friends. Coming up to Christmas, keep a weather eye out. Because you may have a seat at your table that you can invite a stranger in. Uh, what a blessing that would be. Not just to somebody else, but also to you. And uh, you'll be doing the Lord's work very well there if you would simply open your heart in fellowship. We had a lovely word last, uh, <clears throat> last Sunday morning, our pastor Neil brought a wonderful word, but also I really enjoyed it. It was a wonderful word from the Lord, but equally so on the Sunday night to the young adults. I, I love, he talked about loneliness. I'm not going to talk about it here now this morning, but <clears throat> I thought about loneliness and how people feel lonely. And he did it in a very pastoral way by, you know, if you're not connected, you'll feel lonely. And there's so many ways to connect in. And even we've got connect cards here. You can fill out your details, but that's not connecting either. It's a start. But connecting is a deliberate act. And uh, someone once said, if you want to make friends, then show yourself friendly. Uh, turn up, be around, be available, and, and, and uh, build towards relationship because it will, it will stand for the rest of your life. And the greatest thing that I have in my life are my friends in the ministry. And the greatest fellowship and satisfaction I get is from, is from being part of their lives and then part of my life. So I want to encourage you to indeed be involved in the life of the church or find what the Lord would have for you so that you can manifest Christ in a godly way. Uh, uh, that verse we always quote when Moses went to Pharaoh, he said, let my people go that they may serve me. You know, not serve themselves, serve me. And so may that ring in your heart today that I want to serve the Lord, whatever's left of my life. Amen. <clears throat> if you have a Bible, then turn to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. <clears throat> and um, I, I titled it Hope for the Wise or Hope for a Slumbering Church. So I just want to lift up the name of Jesus this morning and comfort your heart that God's for you. Can I hear an Amen. God is for you, uh, not against you. When I was, when I was visiting my, my, my friend Bill in the hospital, Sharon's dad, and I said, Bill, I, you know, I have no fear for your soul. I know you love God. Because he came from the same background, same part of the city as I did, and he would, have, he would have had an original view of God that was off, that God was some sort of angry, vitriol, you know, scoundrel God that was very cranky and would want to hurt people. And I said, and I know you love God, and I know you don't think God's an angry God. And he says, no, he says, since I started listening to the church and you're preaching, I know God loves me. You know, I <laughs> say, so, you, know, you know, to have a revelation of the love of God is, is, is something that really does refresh your soul in times of need. And uh, I want to read the scripture because <clears throat> it sometimes can send a lot of fear into people, but the scripture is not written to us to send fear into us. Amen? Amen. It's not. It's written to... Let me just read actually what the Apostle Paul says first. Before we go to the reading, this is what the Apostle Paul says in, in Romans 15. He says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Isn't that beautiful? It's written, you know, so if you have patiently studied the Scriptures, it's to give you hope. It's not to take away hope. 
It's not to make your hope uh, on a, on a, put it on a very thin foundation that you just don't know where you stand with God. You know? And he says in verse 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound, and I love that word again, in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, any scholar here, do you know it? We've got a few young men here that have gone to masters. I'm so proud of them. So they know that we're going, our pastors do. But you may not know it, but the word hope in our Bible is not like the English translation. It's a weak translation. The hope in the scriptures is something that is absolutely certain. It's not like I, I hope the number seven bus will be on time. As I know this number, my hope is I know it will be on time. There's a, cert there's a certainty to that. So here's our reading this morning. One of the parables of Jesus, Matthew chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps, went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were sensible. When the foolish ones took their lamps, they did not take oil with them. But the sensible ones took oil in their flasks and when uh, with their lamps. Since the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. All of them, uh, look up at me, they all slumbered. I love the old King James. They all slumbered. They all fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout. Here's the groom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up, trimmed their lamps. But the foolish ones said to the sensible ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps are gone out. And the sensible ones answered, no, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell and buy oil for yourselves. And when they had gone to buy some, of the, some, the groom arrived. Then those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open for us. But he replied, I assure you, I do not know you. Therefore, be alert, because you do not know either the day or the hour. You know, there's this, there's a reading of this, uh, of this parable that has sent a lot of fear among Christians down through the centuries. And it's because, again, it's lensing the wrong way. It's viewing the, the teaching of Christ in a, way that, in, in a way that fits our lens. Because if we were God, this is how we would do it. Uh, if I were God, I would, you know, I might give you seven, three times. I might forgive you on the fourth. Uh, I think you're ready for hell. Um, you know, I might have a level of uh, strength to walk a journey with you, but then I'm eventually going to get tired of you and faint along the way, and uh, you, I'll bore of you and I'll turn my back on you. But you see, we serve a God who's, who doesn't change. There's no shadow or turning in him. That's very hard for us to accept because he is the opposite to us. We are changeable. We are finite. Our love goes so far, and then it runs completely out but his is inexhaustible. He doesn't change. The same love that, that filled the heart of Christ from when he breathed life into us and we became a living being. The same love sent him to the cross and the same love causes him to intercede before us, before the throne of God, amen. Ever living to make intercession for us. There's no shadow or turn. He's not moody. He's not up and down. He's not taken by surprise by your failure or mine or our collective failures. And so Jesus is speaking this, this message, and uh, they're, they're, they're listen, those watching him are, are, are his disciples, of course. He's, this is a message of consolation to the wise. Now, he tells us back in Matthew 4 who the wise were. So we know from the scriptures, the wise ones are the ones that built their house upon him. Just go back and have a look. We know that we were looking at some footage from Florida 
where we actually base, when we go over and minister, I base on Daytona Shores. We've got friends that give us use of a, of a, a beautiful uh, uh, condo on the beach there. We were able to go from there to different churches around there, drive, usually for hours and ends. But the storm came in and uh, whipped all the sand dunes out. The, all the sea walls began to collapse. And many of the big condos are ready to be condemned. And we saw houses that we would have passed and say, and they're beautiful houses. And now all they are is there's 10 foot of stilts. They're literally sitting on stilts. All the sand has gone underneath them. The most craziest looking things. You'd need a 15 foot ladder to get up to them. Others are falling into the sea and crashing. And we were recording the song, don't build your house on the sandy land. Don't build it too near the shore. Because it might be kind of nice, but you're going to have to build it twice. So you have to build your house upon the rock. That's the wise one. Amen. We, the Christian, you, the watcher, the listener that have given your life to Christ, you are the wise one. You build your house upon the rock. Amen. Can you say amen? You might be stupid when it comes to finances. You might be good at math. You might be excellent. Because not all, not so, the Bible says that not all of you are from noble backgrounds or highly educated parts of society. But God took the foolish. And one, we were foolish. But we are wise in this. That we learned one thing. One thing I did do right in my life. I might have done a lot of stupid things since then. I might have done a lot of things wrong since that moment. But the one thing I can attest to. At 12 years old, all those centuries ago, I built my house upon the rock. Amen. And so Christians of all, all denominations that have truly asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, this is written to give you consolation. You are not the ones without the oil. The oil is there in you. And so Jesus tells this wonderful parable. I think about the, the, the book of Ruth. Because there's this thinking, you know, and, and, and I, I'm one of those people that is very, very, I get very offended when I hear Christians shooting their own wounded. Oh, the church this, or the church that. Oh, you wouldn't get it in the world. Have you heard those sort of sayings from people? Oh, people in the world would never act like that. I'm going, oh my, you're living in, the, you're living in North Africa. You're living in denial. <laughs> I've been in the world. I've lived out there. Oh, you wouldn't get it in the world. You'd get it with interest. And there's this, there can be this disfiguring of the bride of Christ, this attack against her, this always ready to, to, to look at our weaknesses. And I want to tell you, if you come to church and all you want to do is look at the weaknesses of the church, then, I friend, you'll join in the chorus line of demons and try to be in the body of Christ now because it's his body. Not mine. I didn't, I didn't design it. I would have been far better than Jesus at designing a body. Yeah, right. Are you and I going to bring accusation against him, how he has built his church? That he takes the most faultiest of his creation and pours his mercy, mercy, grace, that means you don't deserve it, into your life. And he gathers you. And regardless of the many years that go ahead of you, that can be sometimes wasteful years. Some of us have wasted months, years of our life. Some of us have wasted our substance on riotous living. Some, when I mean that, I talk, you know, the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How many of us have taken our Christian faith and sometimes squandered it in, in no man's land for years, and yet we are still the son of the Father? Yet there's something in our hearts that is undeniably a light that has been shed abroad in our hearts. The Bible says God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness to shine into your life. What a glorious thing. Sometimes you need to take a step back and begin to realize what's actually happening even in this earthen vessel. 
even in this faulty man or woman, that God is still willing and working his good pleasure in you and I. And I want to tell you, friends, if that's not truth, then there is no gospel. There is no hope. It's Darwinian. Survival of the fittest. The strongest ones. The brightest ones. The ones that know more academics in their Bible. The ones that can get up early in the morning. Uh, you know, the, you know, I'm nocturnal, I'm a lead. I still get up early, but I get up late. But it doesn't matter what your, your cycle of living is. It's not conditioned upon that. And so, you see the people who take shot at the bride of Christ, and I, and I, I said, you better hold fire. You, you, better, you better do a double take in that because it's still God's body and he loves her. And he's putting promises over her. And that means you too, because you, you may take aim with another Christian, but I'm telling you, it's them today, but it's you tomorrow. You know, you, no, nobody is exempt from failure. Nobody's exempt from slipping. This, it, you look in the scriptures, some of the finest men that follow Christ or worked for God in the Old Testament were very faulty men and women. They fell and they slipped, but thanks be to God, they made it because of, of a good God. And you and I are going to make it because of a good God. Not because we're strong, but because he's strong. Amen. Not because we made a commitment to him, but because he made a commitment to you. And that's a, that's a different way of looking at Christianity and everything in the scriptures to support that. And the reason why we struggle with it is because we are everything the opposite to that. We metric everything by our abilities, by our strength and our growth. And I want to tell you, friends, that is not how God deals with us. I thank God that's not how he deals with us because none of us, and I know most of you, none of us would cut the mustard, as they say. Amen. We are faulty. I think of the book of Ruth. So, well, we, we studied the book of Ruth. Those of you who know, it's a phenomenal book. It's a short few chapters, well worth reading. It starts off with a, with a man called Abimelech and his wife Naomi, and they've got two sons. And they're Jews, and they're living in Bethlehem. And you know, what happens is that they begin to abandon uh, their, their faith in one way, in the sense that if the Jews, every promise that the Jew has was linked to their homeland. And so they, they hid in hard times. And they, they effectively say, listen, there's not enough food here, so we're going, to go to the, we're going to go to our neighbor who's an enemy. We're going to go into the enemy's camp. We're going to, we're going to feed at their table, not trust God. You know, and there's times with Christians that, you know, many of us that we, we can kind of go that way, that, well, it's, it's getting a little bit lean in the church. I think I'll find a husband or a wife somewhere else. Or I think I'll go away from the will of God or the call of God and just go after money. I just go after pleasure. I'm going to become a, the next big rapper, uh, the next big whatever it is going out there. How many young people have fallen on that level? I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to go play the pubs and the clubs. I'm going to go in there and you end up being washed up after a few years, just another has-been. Or if you happen to make it, you're a worse has-been because there's so much darkness flood into your life. And so this couple leave with their children and they go somewhere. And for a while, you know, this, so it's a picture of a type of church that leaves the promises of God and they go to a foreign land. And of course, they seem to be prospering for a while. You know, they end up at church growth. They end up getting two girls added to the church, marrying their sons. But very quickly, she loses her husband and she loses her two sons. And now she's in, she's in disarray. You know, it's a picture of, of the church. I know it's a picture of Israel, but it's a picture of the church, more so than anything else, that how we can sometimes be so foolish to leave the plan and purposes of God because we hit in hard times. It's not just quite working for me here at Cork Church. I'm, I'm in a dry spell. It looks nicer over there. You know, I've just had enough of this and I go after something. And you're the one that's lying on the beach somewhere and we're all slogging it out here and it looks like you're getting a great life, but it has a price at the end of it. She ends up losing everything. 
And when you look at her, she's quite pathetic. Naomi's quite pathetic. But there's something still in the bride of Christ. Hallelujah. There's still, there's still a witness of the Spirit to Naomi. Even though they made bad decisions, they went to the wrong place, they went into the enemy land, they, they thought they could um, hybrid their form of worship in some way. But there's still something in her that attracted a, a, a Ruth, a, a young Moabitess girl who saw something even in the broken church. You know what? I, you know, we, we can comment about churches around the world and, oh, that's prosper. You know my feeling towards the prosperity church. But I want to tell you, even there, God has saved people. Amazing. You know how I feel against churches that don't preach the truth. But yet, even in those places, despite bad leaderships and sometimes even bad doctrine, God is so much more powerful. Amen. Uh, God, is, God is saving people, not because of good leadership, but despite good leadership. Amen. Because he's benevolent and he's kind and he's merciful. And he's there to seek and to save the lost. And not to turn his back. And he said, if you put away the pointing of the finger, you know, and don't turn away from your own flesh, then the light will break forth. But, you know, you, you begin to see the goodness of God, you know, begin to f flow through different places. And this broken testimony of Ruth was one of those people that if she attracted, of Naomi, sorry, attracted this Ruth. And that Ruth went back to Bethlehem with her. Not only that, she became, she, she had the greatest revelation that we could say Christ you know, and I believe in the end times church, we're going to see a restoration of God's people. And I believe there's going to be a greater revelation of Jesus upon all of our lives. That's a wonderful thing because he doesn't leave you in the desert. Who is this coming out of the desert leaning on her beloved? Hallelujah. The callings of God, the, the gifts and callings of God, Romans tells us, are without revocation. And I want to tell you this morning, whoever you are, there's a call of God in your life and it has never stopped. It has never ceased. You may have stopped your ears. You might have hardened your heart. You might have went away. But I want to tell you, there was a time in your life where you put your house upon the rock. Christ came in, took you at your word, brought the life of heaven into you. I love Job chapter 14. I don't have the... I have a turning here, so I'm going to quote it from my memory. He says, there is hope for a tree, even if it's cut down and its stock lies dead in the ground. But even at the scent of water, it will sprout again. Isn't that awesome? What hope we have. It's not a fickle hope. It's not a hope, friends, that we have, that we give towards one another or situations. I want to tell you, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. I want to tell you that God in heaven is willing and working a plan in all of our lives. And I believe that the end times church will be a church that will rise up in the power of God. Isaiah says, a bruised reed he will not break. And many, we can turn around and, oh, look at the church here, look at the church there, as I said, and it's broken and it's, it's disastrous looking. But I want to tell you, friends, he's not going to break it. Hallelujah. A bruised reed is something that's bending over but can be restored to health again. Hallelujah. He won't break it where you cut off the life from it and it's broken. He's not going to break it. He's going to revive it. He doesn't despise you because you're bent over the, with the weight of, of either your own failure or other people's failures on you. That you just hit a difficult time biologically or emotionally, physically or mentally. 
And all of a sudden you're bearing down and your thinking is all over the place. And it's weak and you haven't heard the voice of God for a long time. But there's life in you and you know it. I want to tell you, God speaking to you today. There's hope for your life. This is the God that you serve. You don't come to some God that is just ticking off sort of boxes to make sure you, you, you kind of grow up along the line and you happy, he's happy with that. No, he loves you. And any fruit that will be in your life, which there will be, if there's none now, there will be. I said there will be. He's not going to take you to heaven until you bear fruit. It could be the last week of someone's life for all I know, but I want to tell you, you won't sit embarrassed in his presence. He will produce the fruit of the Spirit in you. I've seen a lifetime of foolishness expunged at one glorious moment, friends, and the glory of God breaking into sinners' lives. I've seen men and women that straight and came back broken and pregnant out of wedlock and addicted to drugs and broken lifestyles, and then at a moment in time, God touches them again and revives them again, and you see the glory of God all over their life. What a great God. And so he's telling this, when I, when, when I was a young Christian, this, this is one of the parables that, that made me fearful all the time. Make sure you got oil in your lamp. So he tells this parable here in Matthew 25. And he says there's, there's two sets of people here. And, 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 and the version is, is, is really talking about a devout, devout life to a deity. That's really what it's meaning. You know, the, the sense of purity and the sense of, uh, of, of concentration. So there, there is two groups of people. Now, Martin Luther used to say this, and Martin Luther wasn't writing everything, but he was writing this area. That when you read your Bible, and normally when two parallel groups are being mentioned, it's really talking about two covenants, two types of people. And so he's talking a word of consolation to the church, which are the wise, but he's also speaking a word of absolute caution to the foolish. Now the wise, as I said, are those who accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, but the foolish were the Jewish listeners that had not embraced Christ or the new covenant. They were still holding on to the law. And so this was, this was, this, this was Jesus was challenging them on. He wasn't condemning. He wasn't bringing the Christian church under the spotlight. He was paralleling to the Jews that were listening to his teaching and not embracing him, not building their house upon the rock. They were building their house upon the law, upon the Torah, upon the traditions of Israel. And they were full, and yet they were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for the promised one, but they were building on the wrong foundation. Now, this is the thing. Most, the, the Word of God tells us that in Corinthians chapter 3, it talks about the old covenant having a glory that shone. It said that even Moses' face shone with a glory that so much so they had to cover it because of the glory of the law, the glory of what he brought. And so men and women that of the Jewish background that were putting the confidence in the law, the teaching of the word of God is that it had a glory. It was a light that shone for a while, but it was fading. And Jesus was coming to, to these groups of people and saying, listen, your light is fading. It's not going to hold when I come back. You will not be able to get in on the merit of the law that is fastly fading. You're going to be caught without oil in your lamp. 
And it was challenging because, you know, these were devout people. These were virgins. These were people who were devout to a spiritual cause. Just as much as the the, the wives that built their house upon Jesus, they were putting their faith completely in the law of Moses and how well they could comply and keep the acts of God and so form a righteousness of their own making. The Bible is very clear about that. By the works of the law shall no man be justified. That means you cannot justify a face-to-face relationship with God on the basics on the basis of your ability to hold on to the teaching and the commandments. And so this is what was happening. There was this absolute uh, unmasking of the failure of Israel. And so rather than writing and speaking a parable to the people, to the Christians, to undermine who you are, he was speaking to the Jews or any Jew, or any Gentile that is putting their, uh, they're putting their hope upon their own compliance. You, you may not be a Jew holding on to the law of Moses, but you could be a Gentile saying, well, you know, I'm a good person. I have my, my, my ethics in life and I live by them. And there's utility to that in the sense that we like good ethics. Righteousness exalts a nation, the Bible says. Good thinking is good, bad thinking is bad. You live a good way, you don't smoke, you don't drink, you live healthy, it's going to be good. If you don't cheat in your business, that's going to go good for you. If you work hard, it's going to go good for you. You know, if you're good to your neighbor, that's going to go good for you. If you're good to your friends, that's going to bowl good for you. But that's not going to shine when Jesus comes back. That's not going to carry you through. Because the Bible says, no matter how good you think you are, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the wonderful consolation, and I want you to understand this this morning, Court Church, that, you know, when he comes back, you will have oil in your lamp. They both slumbered. And it tells me that even in the Christian life, and I've experienced this more than anybody else knows, my wife and others who know, I've I've experienced moments of seasons of slumber, seasons of sleep where it's not where it's at or where it should be at. But I thank God this morning I'm here and you're here, not because of me, but because of him. Because as the boy is 12, I put my house upon the rock. The oil, which is a caricature of the Holy Spirit, to everyone that believes the Holy Spirit of God comes in and he dwells in you. He, he makes your body a temple. There may even be some here this morning and you've passed through seasons of darkness, seasons of dryness, seasons of regret, seasons of anger, seasons of finger pointing, but you cannot deny that God has been good to you and he did something in your life and that's why you're listening, that's why you're watching, that's why you're here because God has drawn you and he wants to console you. He wants to tell you all those wasted years or whatever you've done wrong in your life. The only one you really hurt was yourself. I still love you. I still put my spirit in you. What a consolation this morning, friends, that we have as Christians. Everything is written to give you hope. I tell you, friends, life is not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy to get established. It's not easy to get a visa. It's not easy to get a job that can pay all the bills. It's not easy to deal with health issues. It's not easy to deal with emotional issues. It's not easy to deal with delinquency in our families, mental health issues. It's not easy to deal with getting old. It's not easy dealing with others getting old. It's not easy to deal with the economic crisis that's looming down on us. It's not easy to deal with the possibility of war and rumors of wars and famines and pestilence and COVID and everything else. These are not easy things, friends. All those darkness comes in, but thanks be to God, the scriptures are written to give you hope. 
Hallelujah. They're here to give you hope. And if you didn't have hope this morning, friends, I'm telling you, you would be in despair because there's nothing in this world that you can hang on to that has any buoyancy in the storms that we're facing. But our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Hallelujah. These things are written to give you hope, the Apostle Paul says. Jesus spoke this not to make you fearful, but to give you hope. Amen. But I want to tell you, there are some who are watching, some who are here, who have never built their house upon the rock. And you have right to be worried today. You have more right than I. Because you have nothing to hold you in the storm. There's no light in you. By the common light of revelation that's given to all men, which mostly eventually we darken through our sin. And God comes to you in his overture of kindness. As he came to those Jews around him that were Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees, let's not get it wrong on person of these men. These Pharisees and these teachers and scribes were very righteous living people. They lived far better lives than most Christians I know. They were genuine to the Lord and to the T. Their desire to produce righteousness by compliance to the law of Moses was there. And you can imagine Jesus having to shock them and say, do you know what? That glorious, that, that's so yesterday. And it's not working. And when I come in my glory and you try to usher me in as this Messiah and Savior, there's going to be no oil in your lamp. And I will say to you, I never knew you. Wow. Can you imagine how they must have felt? Do you think for one second that parable was lost on the audience? Sometimes it's lost in us. But I want to say to the Christian, we are not children of the darkness, but we are children of the light. That these days would overtake us. The scriptures, Apostle Paul says, are written for your consolation to give you hope. There is hope, friends. There's hope for my children. There's hope for my wayward sons and daughters. There's hope for the, your husband. There's hope for your wife. There's hope for your health. There's even hope for your finance, friends. Because ultimately, all things will come back. He will reconcile all things to himself. He will assert himself into history at a given moment, friends. And all the goodness and the promises of Christ are yes and amen for you. And even between now and then, should some of us succumb to death, friends, there will be a time when every tear will be wiped away. That's the hope of the gospel. That God will dry every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more sorrow, no more suffering. Hallelujah. The former things will have passed away and all the newness of what Calvary won for us will be dominated throughout the universe, friends. No room for sin. No room for evil. No room for backbiting. No room for demons, friends. But the love of God reconciling, the Bible says, all things to himself. All means all. It means everything that got put out of sync in our universe to constellations that we can't even see, the reverberation of the sinful fall of man and the opening of a demonic uh, uh, portal that God will reconcile all things to himself. Praise God this morning. Whatever your lot is in life, I want you to look up and say with me, there is hope for a tree. Hallowed, even if I feel cut down, the scent of water, just the scent of it. I, I, you know, it's a phenomenal thing. Water molecules are so light. You go to desert regions, and I'm not great with this stuff, but I do watch David Attenborough from time to time. And you go out into the desert place, and it looks absolutely dead. But there can come a wind that just has the water molecules in it, just a moist wind 
And just at the very scent of it, things become alive again. And I want to say to you and me, I want us to stand and believe that the very, very beautiful heavenly clouds of promise and rain are over our lives. The promise is our yes and amen. And so when we read the scripture, we take on the new covenant lens, friends. Hallelujah. A new covenant has made the first obsolete. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. And growing old and is ready to vanish away, he says. When we attempt to live by the old covenant of law and works, our choosing by our own sufficiency, you may not be a Jew, but you're trying to live by your own Torah, your own law, your own code. I spoke to people that have no religion, but they have their code. As much as the Jews have there, they have their code. They have their philosophy. They live by it. They die by it. They, they thought of it in some bar stool somewhere, and it became the doctrine of their life. I want to tell you, it's not going to keep you warm on a cold night. It's not going to bring a way forward when the darkness falls. I want to tell you, when he comes back, there will be no light in you. There will be no brightness. Life and sin will have knocked it out of you. But Jesus says, we heard it from, from, from Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, that he is always knocking on the hearts of men and women that if you would open the door, he would come in and he would bring the power of his light and the power of his Holy Spirit and that you would know the greatness of God. And so when I read the scriptures, I thank God for Ruth, the type of church that, that came back, as it were, from the life of death, friends, because of the goodness of God. Came back to Bethlehem, to the home of bread. Came back in and began to serve that, that small little church testimony. And in that place of serving Naomi, her little church, leaning in the fields around her, a type of the church, laboring where they are. She comes into the greatest revelation of Christ, a man called Boaz, who marries her and extends the corner of his mantle over her. And then she she, of course, is in the lineage of Christ. And I want to tell you, friends, we have always been in the loins of the spiritual Christ. Thank God today he saw you for far off. He tracked you down. He convicted you with his love. He convinced you of his kindness. And you opened the door of your heart. The promises of God are yes and amen. Not to be doubted. The biggest battle you and I face, and we will always face it, is to doubt this truth. And you doubt this truth, you have no gospel. And when you have no gospel, which means good news, you have no hope. And when you have no hope, friends, death is always but a step away, either by self-infliction or by the natural consequence of living a life outside of God. It's just a step away. But Jesus said, I've come that you would have life and have it more abundantly. Oh, Christian that is slumbering and sleeping, he has made provision for your slumber. He has made provision for your sleep. And also, friends, there is a rest in God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When I run out of steam, and I do, sometimes we can just be like the old British officer, stiff upper lip, you know, pretend yeah, we're not losing when we feel, when we are losing it. Oh, just put on the bright side, put yourself up by the bootstrap, stand up like a man, shoulders back, look him in the eye. You know, you can go on so far with that attitude, but there comes a time where the young men would utterly faint, no matter how strong you are. And I've known some great men and women in my day Godly men that I would aspire to be like, but they also had their moments, friends. John the Baptist, Peter. You know, John the Baptist is in the prison and he's even doubting Christ. 
Are you the one or should we look for another? The great, great evangelist, the great last Old Testament prophet, the tenacious man of God of righteousness, baptism of repentance, holiness preacher. And yet he got to that place, but thanks be to God, Jesus sends words back to him. John, the blind see, the deaf hear. Blessed is the man that's not offended by me. Don't be offended, John, because it didn't work out the way you thought it should work out. Don't be offended because you find yourself less well off today than when you were before you were a Christian or less healthy today than before that. Don't be offended by them because God is doing your work in you. He'll revive all that. He'll bring it all back to you. Just remember, the light is in the, in, in the vessel. I said the lamp and the oil is in the vessel. And you and I are going to make it, friends, because of his deposit in us. Oh, you know it this morning. Some may struggle with this interpretation. This is the right interpretation of what Jesus is saying. Traditionally, we lend to us being God, how we would act if we were God. But God says, I don't act like you. My ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. You're always bartering off how good versus how bad, how many good things versus how many bad things. The Muslims do that, the Catholics do that, but the gospel is grace, unmerited favor of God flowing to you. And if you let it flowing through you this morning. So I want to end this morning in this service. If there's any man or woman <clears throat> and you have, you, have, you have just been far from the Lord, you haven't heard his voice, you've been foolish, you know, you've been doubtful, you've been critical, you've been all of the above and even more. You don't need to tell me. You need to admit it in your heart before the Lord. But I want to tell you, you need to embrace this morning that the life of God is still in you. And you need to gravitate that God who let that light in you, he will be faithful to complete it and to bring you and to manifest his Christ in you. Oh, do you see the excellency of the powers of God and not of us? Oh, thank God this morning. It's not down to you and it's not down to me. He promises you that he will not let you fail. <laughs> you may be like that stupid sheep getting stuck in the thicket. You may have to break your leg to stop you running because they do that to shepherds apparently though. And maybe you have a broken leg today because of your foolishness, but that broken leg has brought you into the house again to hear that the light of God is still in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. To hear an appeal to the true you. To hear an appeal to the re reality that Christ in you is still the hope of glory. And now to come back and say, Lord, like the hymn writer said, you hear me quoting him what Wesley wrote it, No more I doubt thee, glorious prince of life. Life is not without thee, aid me in my strife. Make me more than conquerors through thy deathless love. Bring me safe to Jordan, to thy home above. Thine be the glory, risen conquering son. Endless is your victory. Thou over the grave has won. Can you stand with me this morning? And you, you might have been cold at heart coming in here, but the Holy Spirit is saying, you know what? You might have been cold towards me, but I'm certainly hot towards you. You might have been tepid towards me, but I've never changed towards you. I saw the day you gave your life to me, and I never left you. And now you're here. Why? Because God is reviving his church. First song we send this morning, he is reviving his people. He is bringing them back. And he's going to manifest his glory in your life as much as in my life. It will be his glory and not your glory. Now, would you close your eyes for a moment and just bow your heads. And those of you who have to lift, re-lift a hand for surrender and say, oh God, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to this life of dedication to you because you've dedicated to me even in my darkest moments. 
Now raise your hand to the Lord and tell him so. Tell him so this morning in your heart. Tell him that you've always loved him, even though you've said some dark things. Tell him you're sorry for those dark things. Tell him you're sorry for those dark ways. But oh God, I know who I am. I am who the great I am says I am. I have light in my lamp. And it never went out, even though I tried to bury it in the pub and bury it in Netflix and bury it with food and bury it with gossip. It has never gone out. And that's nothing other than a testimony to him. Because if it was up to me, I would have snuffed you out and you would have snuffed me out. I, I would have written you off and you would have written me off. But he doesn't write you off. Oh, hallelujah. He doesn't write you off. There's hope to see. That's what hope means. That's the hope. You're still alive. Hallelujah. You got a round two to get involved in. You're gonna, you need to roll up the sleeves and get back to the, to the fountain of, Christ, of grace again. And rise in the strength and the power of God and let God do something terrific with whatever's left. And it might be much, but it doesn't matter. He can do a lot with, with little. Hallelujah. And for those who are watching, those who are here this morning, I know you sense the Lord here in this church in the worship, and I know you're hearing him what, I, what I'm saying. Because you have never, you've just been living by your own law, whatever that is. It could be Jewish law, it could be Gentile law, it's all the same. Human effort. God would say, I, I, I'm knocking at your door because the philosophy that you've developed is leading you into nothing other than, than quicksand. You're getting older, you're not getting younger. It's not going to work for you. It never, it can't work. It won't work. There comes a time that you need to come to me and you need to bow your knees. That's humility. That's, that's humility. That's the bruised reed. It's bowing you know, before the conviction of God. He says, you come like that bruised reed, bowing under the weight of your failure and your sin. I won't break you. If you come like the light, this dimly burning wick that's flickering in the wind, ready to go out, he'll put his hands over that light. He won't let it go out. He's not because you deserve to go out. You're just a stinking sinner. You're just a greedy person. It's all about you. You're just a violent man. You're just a gossipy woman. I'm going to break you. I have enough of you. No. You bend in, in repentance. That's what it means to bow the knee. The dimly burning, the, 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 reed is, the reed that's bowing before God. Would you bow before him this morning? Would you ask him to forgive you? Don't presume forgiveness. You have to ask for forgiveness. You have to repent. It means you have to come to him and say, I'm the one needing the repentance. And if you come and you say, Lord, not only do I repent, I give you my life. Will you give me your life? That's the transaction of being born again. The Holy Spirit will come and the light will be in the house and there'll be many mixed days there'll be battles, highs and lows but you will ultimately win you will come through the storms of life you will stand strong because the presence of God will be in you Thank you for tuning in with us today make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church also make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel if you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.